Are you a software professional looking to make a lasting impact on people and the planet? At General Motors, our vision is a world with zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. And we need innovative people like you to join us on this journey and challenge the limits of what is possible. From autonomous cars to software-defined vehicles, you'll translate breakthrough technologies like AI into experiences that people love, all while pushing the world forward toward an all-electric future. See how you can shape the future of mobility at careers.gm.com. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello, and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Christina Passariello, Deputy Business Editor at The Washington Post. Today, I'm joined by Reid Hoffman, the co-founder of LinkedIn and a partner at the venture capital firm Greylock. Hoffman has been an early investor in the rapidly advancing space of artificial intelligence and actually wrote a book with the help of AI entitled Impromptu, Amplifying Our Humanity Through AI. Reid Hoffman, welcome. Great to be here. Thanks so much for joining us today. I'm so excited to talk about this topic because it seems like this is just really the center of the field for technology these days. We talk so much about AI and specifically generative AI, which is this new generation of AI that can create text and images, sounds and video. So you have been in this sector for a very long time. I was wondering if you could just put this moment into context for us. How big of a moment are we seeing with generative AI? So I think artificial intelligence and generative AI is the most important tech uh, development uh, for you know kind of the world in my lifetime, and maybe it will be for my entire lifetime. It's because it builds upon the internet, it builds upon mobile, it builds upon cloud, and it's the crescendo of all of these things. I mean, there's almost a sense in which uh, AI is the realization of the dream and the benefit of the transistor. And Steve Jobs called computers the bicycle of the mind. I actually think that AI now may be the steam engine of the mind and his artificial intelligence is actually in fact amplification intelligence. And, and that's the reason why I wrote the first book on AI with AI, uh, just as a kind of a demonstration piece on this. That's so interesting. You speak so positively about AI and about its potential there's obviously a lot of risks uh, and concerns about it as well. Tell, tell us why you are optimistic about AI. Well, I think there's, there's two things. So one is what AI is to some degree is, is, is amplification intelligence. And so um, just like I think there's a lot of good human beings, you know, uh, you guys at the Post, everyone else doing good things, being amplified is very, very good. Doctors, you know, uh, teachers, you know, just you know, a whole crew of folks in order to do this. Um, there will be bad actors, and I actually think the real risks are on bad actor amplification, whether it's cyber criminals or terrorists or other folks. And I think that's the important thing to really pay attention to. Then people frequently talk about the kind of super intelligence thing, like the Jeffrey Hinton uh, thing you had on the pre-video. And it's look, it's it's um, in some sense. The current AIs already are, are, you can see the super intelligence there. GBD4 can do a number of things, um, you know, better than 99% of the human race. And yet it's still there and it's still an amplification and it still makes us better across a number of things. And that's the reason why I'm positive and think the super intelligence um, discussion diverts us 
from where we really should be paying attention to what the possible risks are, which is the hand uh, AI in the hands of essentially bad actors. And 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 because it's you know kind of what we do as a society and good actors and bad actors, and of course there's bad actors, but we have had centuries of technological advancement, um, and 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 technology always, you know, puts uh, tools in the hands of good and bad actors, and you know, I have the optimism that is the course of our civilization over the centuries of learning and being better and, you know, kind of uh, figuring this stuff out. And obviously, you know, currently we're in a more of a turmoil moment. And so people go, oh, I'm not so feeling so great about the future at the moment. But it's like, well, actually, I'd much rather live now than 100 years ago. And anyone who knows who knows about it knows that's the case. Um, and so um, so that's the future that I'm I, I'm trying to make sure the discourse uh, brings us into, and part of the reason why I beat the drum so firmly in the in the positive camp. It's not that I'm risk unaware and I think we need to navigate them, but oh my gosh, every month we delay an AI tutor and doctor in, you know, for everyone who has a smartphone or is a friend who has a smartphone, just think about the human suffering that's caused by that delay. And that's super important. That's really interesting. I mean, it really goes back to the issue of the trust in our technology. And as you pointed out, you know, good actors have access to this technology now, as well as bad actors. And that is, um, you know, in large part because there has been such a race between companies to, you know, get these products out into the public just in the last six months. It's really remarkable how quickly it has changed. That, you know, that whole process, which the race, which really started with OpenAI's ChatGPT, um, you know, being released to the public about six months ago, has just massively disrupted big tech in such a short time period. Um, OpenAI, of course, which is a very small company, uh, has cut a massive deal with Microsoft, and Google suddenly appears behind in AI. I'll remind people that you were on the board of OpenAI, and Microsoft owns LinkedIn. What do you make of this? these quickly shifting um, powers suddenly in this industry? And also just for the audience, I'm also on the board of Microsoft. So, you know, just yes. to, to make sure that, you know, <laughs> you understand what I'm speaking Thank from. Um, so, um, look, I think, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, Satya Nadella and, and the whole crew uh, at Microsoft is showing that um, that kind of, that the old Steve Jobs thing, which is uh, no company can't be massively amplified and reinvented by kind of a new product. And what the whole crew there has done by recognizing and supporting the open AI mission, but also then building the commercial products. And these products are just, you know, like transforming. Um, every professional activity, you process information and you do something, doctor, journalist, educator, you know, lawyer, uh, 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 engineer, graphic designer, etc., will have a uh, a co-pilot, a personal AI um, within two to five years that will be amplifying of their abilities. And 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 Microsoft saw this technology, jumped on it, and started moving hard towards it. Where whereas Google was kind of sitting, you know, happy on its search, you know, kind of dominant position, you know, raking in the money and was going, ah, we're not going to do this. And I'll say, well, it's safety. There's nothing unsafe about Bing Chat. There's nothing unsafe about, um, you know, kind of 
uh, ChatGPT, um, certainly no more unsafe than Google. He said, well, I, I can convince it to give me a recipe for napalm. You can find that on Google. Um, and so uh, and so the question is, is to say, how do we bring these into people's lives where you can go to, you know, like um, I just uh, released this uh, product pie, a co-founded inflection, and you can go to it and you can say, hey, uh, my, my coffee maker is broken. Uh, how do I fix it? And it can help you. Or you could say, I had a really stressful conversation um, with the Washington Post on live. It's not stressful. Uh, 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 and I'll say, oh, well, uh, what, 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 how can I help you with this? And, and, and that kind of thing, that human amplification is so important in this. And that's uh, part of what I think we're seeing. And I think Satya and the Microsoft crew have just done a stunning job of seeing the future and starting to row towards it um, with uh, vigor and diligence. That's really interesting. Um, yeah, definitely interesting to see to see Clippy, uh, <laughs> the Clippy company, uh, be so much at the cutting edge these days of um, of AI. You mentioned your own uh, startup, Pi. There, so this is part of your startup called Inflection AI, um, with the new chatbot named Pi. Tell us why you founded this company and tell us about Pi. So one of the things that when Mustafa Suleiman and I were talking about this, and I was going to like, okay, I'm going to lead this round for Greylock, and and I think we have this great opportunity of creating a chatbot that's an amplification for you for your life, not just the obviously the amplification of what you do in your work, that too, uh, but it's kind of like how you navigate life, and in, you know, think about the movie Her, but instead of being trained to direct your attention to it, to away from your friends. It's trained to say, hey, what's going on with your life? How's your conversation with your friends? Um, what's going on with your, you and your coworkers and so forth? Kind of you out in the world and to be there as a, an assistant to you. Um, and, and it's trained to ask you questions. So like, you know, you go to ChatGPT, you might say, hey, how do I console a friend who has lost a treasured pet through, um, you know, uh, illness or something? And it might say, oh, here's seven things. And, and Pi would say, oh, um, you know your friend really well. What what would help you be a present for your friend? What would most count? Would it be like going out for coffee or bringing over a present or you know helping them with something? You know your friend asked. What 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 do you think your friend would want? And so it'd be conversational, and that's part of that assistant, that human amplification through your life. And obviously, you know who doesn't like Pi um, and and you know personal intelligence, personal AI. That that. That that that's the that's the the future that we saw that we've been building towards. Well, that's interesting. So much of what we hear about the 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 rollout of AI is sort of directed at the workplace as opposed to the personal use of of AI. Um, what kinds of opportunities do you think that people should be aware of in terms of how AI might uh, change just their their personal lives? So. Um, you know, today, because of the way search works, there's a lot of things that people basically don't search on. Um, so, because you have to kind of sort through all of this 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 information, and so, um, you know, um, it, it can range anything from, oh, um, Friday night's coming up, I'm bored, what should I do? To you know, hey, I'm having a couple friends over. Um, you know, uh, what might be something interesting to make for dinner? Or I have these 15 ingredients in my fridge. Um, what can I make that's healthy? Uh, you know, like it's it, it's all of these things that's kind of in the fabric of your life where it can be an, an amplifying assistant. And obviously some of the things that most matter to us as people is other people. Um, so it's kind of the question of, oh, I'm, I'm um, 
you know, um, you know, like I use the, per, the 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 condolences for the loss of a kind of a pet family member as an example. And obviously, there's a whole range of this. You know, people are obviously talking a lot about mental health issues now, and and these can be helpful because it can be the, you know, like how do I help you see find your own joy in your life and be trained that way. That's part of the thing of being trained to be helpful in you and your life. Not necessarily like part of the reason why we've unpied, we've kind of thought more subscription model than advertising model is because it's not supposed to be long interactions. They're supposed to be helpful interactions, you know, just like, you know, uh, LinkedIn, you know, uh, time saving, not time wasting uh, as a way of doing this. And I think that's, uh, it, it's a whole range and people should start experimenting and doing it. I'm, for example, I give gifts to people now by going into you know, Pi and, and ChatGBT and constructing like little sonnets or poets for the poems for them because it kind of amplifies our relationship, you know. That's so interesting. That's a that's a, that's a very interesting example. I now I know that you also used um, AI, generative AI to help write your book. So tell us what that was like and you know, will you will you use it again in writing a book? Uh, for sure. Um, it was actually a lot of work to get, you know, like over half the content is actually produced with GBD4. It was a lot of work and took a lot of different prompts and figuring it out. And even then, you know, I'd say the GBD4 com content was good, but not as great as you'd really aspire to. Um, and so, you know, in the next book on AI, I'll probably have somewhat less of that content. Now, by the way, AI is improving and this, you know, GBD4 is not fixed. I'm, this is not a prediction of the future, but just the next one book, I think, will be more that way. And I learned all kinds of things, like, for example, when I was trying to get it to pose questions, I was still better at posing questions. Um, I think that's one of the things that's that's kind of interesting in the current, the current set. Um, when uh, I didn't do as much of one of the things I was thinking about, which is argue for something and argue against it, and using that as kind of a, a cognitive tool for for kind of resolving. And that was kind of an interesting experience. But the but the amplification was real. I mean, I basically started this project in early January, and the book was live mid-March. Um, wow. And so, uh, you know, like uh, just amazing amplification. That's very interesting. That's really interesting. Now, of course, there is a growing chorus of critics who are calling for a pause in the development of AI technology. I mean, we saw the clip from uh, Jeffrey Hinton, who just uh, left Google to be able to speak freely about what he sees as, as the risks around generative AI. What do you think about this idea of a pause, a six-month moratorium on the development of generative AI? So I think... Um... It's not a very good idea. Um, one, I don't really think I know what six months would get you, um, other than kind of a symbolic gesture or a PR gesture. Second is we have, you know, this is as important as a steam engine, and it's kind of a a, a work and life transformation across the uh, all industries. And and then I think that our tools for making it safe are stronger even in the future than in right now. And right now, we have a variety of companies that are uh, have a lot of ties of high accountability to our society and government, like large companies um, that have shareholders and executives and are domiciled in the U.S. and 
and all the rest have a large set of responsibility for what to do. And when to set up the defense, like to use cybersecurity as an example, already all the open source models can be used for a lot of cyber hacking and phishing and so forth. To set up the defense against that, you'll need to keep doing the development in order to make that happen. And so, um, you know, so you you want you're going to be safer in the future as you're doing it. That doesn't mean that in like work uh, a place like copilots and amplifications that we won't have work transitions and we won't have to work through the work transitions in some really real ways and be a uh, you know kind of learn how to adapt as as industries and companies and society and that stuff. That there's real stuff there, but the the better future is in the future. So like slowing down, stopping now is losing our lead, um, not really clear what it would do other than that, and not helping us solve uh, these problems, which we need to get into by building them and using AI and other technologies um, and learnings, uh, human learnings, as part of the solution in the future. Mm-hmm, right, okay. I mean, yes, certainly the, the, the feedback that this AI gets from the use by humans does help it advance. Um, now, of course, Elon Musk was one of the signatories of that moratorium, but he's also trying to develop his own AI. You've known him for decades, going back to the days that you were both at PayPal. How do you interpret his moves? So I think Elon very genuinely cares very deeply about humanity, um, but he tends to be a solopreneur. So um, just like, you know, kind of, you know, his, when he stepped in as CEO of Tesla um, or um, uh, kind of SpaceX. And so he tends to have, his gut tends to be, AI is only gonna be safe if I make it. Um, and, and I think that actually, in fact, it's better to have uh, folks like Sam Altman who are who bring people in, who has actually a board of directors, he actually in fact reports to, um, consults with various people across the safety community, you know, brings in a group of folks in order to do this, is actually in fact a higher safety coefficient. I think Elon's very genuine and what he cares about humanity, but he tends to go the, uh, I am the person that can make it happen versus we should bring in a collaborative group. Um, and I'm more with the collaborative group. That's interesting. Of course, and of course we've seen him be a solopreneur as you, as I think you put it on Twitter uh, the last six months. Um, have you spoken to him about his his interest uh, in in AI right now? And does it mean that he's sort of tired from his Twitter adventure? <laughs> well, Elon is, I think, one of the the great entrepreneurs of our century and super grateful on lots of things, cars, electrification, space rockets, et cetera. But as part of the solopreneur, um, you know, I'm always here as a friend for him to call me, whether it's about Twitter or AI or anything else. And look, he's he's busy. Um, you know, he's he's doing all this stuff, so he hasn't called me. Um, and so um, so I haven't talked to him um, since uh, before he uh, closed the Twitter deal. Um, happy to help, but I think I would do it differently, whether it was Twitter or AI. So, you know, maybe it's not, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not a useful phone call for him. <laughs> it sounds like you guys need an Elon bot to talk to a read bot since I'm sure you're both very busy. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. We're going to go to a question from the audience. Um, we have a question from Gregory Shuckman from Maryland, and he asks, 
Given the danger of propagating misinformation at a large scale ahead of the 2024 election, what safeguards can or should be taken with respect to generative AI? Reid, what do you think? It's a great question, Gregory. It's one of the things that that um, I think is part of the reason why the White House is uh, paying attention. And, you know, in addition to its general uh, care about governance and kind of our society, you know, hence the recent meetings. Um, I think the kinds of things we need to do is we need to say, well, we need to actually have a higher level of kind of validation of who the information's from. Is it from someone who is, for example, in the U.S. case, a U.S. citizen? Is this actually, in fact, their content that they're generating as a human being? Um, I think we need to pay more attention to that. I think the platforms can help with that. I think we need to, um, you know, kind of have, you know, obviously we need to be attuned to the possibilities of deep fakes. Deep fakes are, you know, where uh, it's not just obviously language, but, you know, you can create videos and audio. And I think, you know, what's going to play out with that is, I think, um, something we have to be quite careful about. Um, now, all of this, I think, um, I think we're going to run the experiment a little, unfortunately, just because we have difficulties as a society agreeing on what civil discourse looks like and what's an appropriate thing to do. Like if someone goes on to social media and starts yelling vaccines or a plot to by the government to put chips in all human beings, we go, oh, that's fine. That's, that's you know, great. And like, well, that really degrades our response as a society to a, a pandemic and to all of our health and our children's health and all the rest. And I think we need to sort through that kind of stuff. And we don't really have the right discourse mechanisms for doing that. And, you know, one of them, obviously, is freedom of speech and freedom of reach. Um, and that's, again, within the AI content is, you know, well, what gets amplified and and how is that all discovered is one of the things that will matter within the electoral context. So those kinds of things we can navigate even as we discuss what the, the the First Amendment means in terms of freedom of speech and what does that really mean? Because by the way, we do have regulation on speech, like truth and advertising, um, you know, uh, the proverbial yelling fire in the crowded movie theater and other kinds of things, I think are things that we need to kind of, um, to to apply those principles in the modern age. So it's great question, Gregory, and 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 hopefully we will never get our way through it. I mean, it is it is such an interesting question and such an important question uh, because as, as we've developing so quickly, you point to, you know, social media and the kinds of content moderation. And yet we see that there are, you know, that is very much an imperfect situation still so many years after social media has been, you know, a very much a part of our society, even recent, even with the, the shootings, um, in, in Texas uh, over the weekend, you know, that kind of content surfacing on social media and there being debate about that. So what makes you think that, uh, that there can be effective content moderation of this even bigger tool of generative AI um, and that it's not just too big for these companies to actually be able to have some control over? Well, the too big question answer is fairly obvious, which is I think that any skilled challenge you're trying to do, whether it's even as much as economic justice or criminal justice, um, medical uh, pro technology is between 30 and 80% of the answer. And so for example, AI can help with a moderation too. 
Um, so I actually think that uh, even when places where technology uh, provides some of the challenges or some of the new developments that we need to navigate, uh, that's again, not pause, go into the future, technology can be part of the solution uh, in order to do this. And so, um, you know, obviously watching for generated AI that's trying to be um, uh, politically deceptive, manipulative, you know, et cetera, like, you know, like for example, um, you know, the Russians like to create discord within our society. Uh, that's just a better uh, universe for them. And, and the fact that um, we have people who, who don't call them out on that within our media ecosystem is um, enormously destructive and frankly, I think anti-patriotic um, because, you know, like let's not have their interference in the discourse. And I think technology can be a solution. And part of the the, the bigness that you're um, referring to, well, technology is part of the answer. I mean, it's it's a fascinating question, and yes, um, definitely seems like technology can be part of the answer. We also see that, you know, for instance, when we're thinking about foreign disruptive propaganda, that China is an increasing force, and of course has a very, uh, you know, robust generative AI industry as well. How are you thinking about the role that China is playing in um, disinformation, especially ahead of 2024? Well, so far we've seen the Russians a lot more active than the Chinese, um, you know, 2016, 2020. A little bit of uh, China culturally tends to feel that in a stable, connected world order, they'll do well. So they tend to not like to destabilize, unlike the Russians. Um, I'm quite certain that as we get to a higher and higher levels of conflict, that question will get revisited. Um, but I think that one of the reasons why I tend to, to speak about like we should compete very strongly with China, but staying connected is is good is because the kind of the a connected global order is one of the things that is generally helpful. And the Chinese are generally more on the side of 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 you know the, their doctrine of peaceful growth. Um, and so um, you know uh, now I would obviously like them to come out more like on peace in Ukraine and and not support for the Russians uh, in this war of aggression. Um, but the, uh, but you know, I think, you know, and obviously we're heading towards uh, from both sides, more intense conflict, which I think we need to navigate. Competition, yes. Uh, disconnection, I think we need to be much more careful about. Very interesting. We, we've, we've meandered from generative AI to politics. So I have to ask you about the news today, um, which is that a verdict was just reached in the E. Jean Carroll lawsuit against Donald Trump. Um, Trump was found liable for battery and disinformation. And this is a lawsuit that you helped finance. You helped finance Jean Carroll's lawsuit. Tell us a little bit about why you did that and what do you make of this verdict now? So, um, you know, it is a standard practice. It happens a lot where there's as outside funding of lawsuits. They, uh, we didn't encourage the lawsuit to happen. We only got on board after she'd already filed it and was down the road. So you're not trying to to create something that's that that isn't substantive, real that a person isn't really doing. We, uh, my team looked at it and thought that it was a, a that that. Uh, her voice should be heard that because she was challenging someone who's so much more wealthy and powerful, it shouldn't be squashed. And that, you know, uh, 
providing that voice for you know people who are otherwise would be ground down by the system or the or the um, uh, the powerful is I think a good thing. Obviously, especially in the case of women, and obviously especially in the case of 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 sexual and other um, you know kind of um, uh, torture and 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 attack and 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 you know so. So providing that support was something that I was um, I felt very happy to do. You know, the press kind of made a, a big deal out of a secret. It's like, look, actually, in fact, most philanthropy in the world and most philanthropy I do, I don't like publish list of it. I just do it. And I think the the speaking truth to power and having a uh, having a woman have her voice, having a chance to be heard and not squashed um, through the legal courts because she didn't have the money to to fully pursue it, I thought was 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 a good thing for society, um, not just for her. And obviously, um, the point is, is that courts should go through their process. And 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 the fact that the court um, found uh, President Trump guilty doesn't surprise me. Um, and I think that one of the things we stand for as Americans, a rule of law and a good judiciary process. And I think, you know, um, uh, I think it's a good showing about who Trump really is as a person um, and what kinds of things he's done. And I think that's a good um, uh, working of the American legal system, which is one of the things I think we, you know, we're proud about in the world. Well, Reed, that is going to be, that is going to be, that's going to have to be where we leave it. It's um, such a timely place to close because um, we are out of time. Thank you so much for joining us here on Washington Post Live, Reed. Thank you as well. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer, like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate.